Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, investors and economists were shocked to learn that Japan has now slipped back officially into recession. Right? We just got the third quarter GDP numbers, and everybody was anticipating a rebound from the 7.1% decline in the second quarter GDP. But instead of a 2.1% rebound, we had a 1.6% decline. Back-to-back declines in Japanese GDP and the miss was huge, right? If they're looking for a positive 2.1 and they get negative 1.6, I mean, how wrong could you be, right? But instead of looking at this recession, now the triple dip for Japan, instead of looking at the recession as an indication that Abenomics has failed, the cries are for more stimulus. Listen to this. Here's a headline from a CNBC article. More stimulus coming after Japan GDP shocker. Why doesn't anybody think that maybe the reason for the double dip or the triple dip or this recession, maybe it's because Abenomics doesn't work. Doesn't the recession prove the monetary and fiscal policy of Abe was designed to stimulate the Japanese economy? Instead, it pushed into the recession. Doesn't that give you an indication that it's not successful? In fact, it's not just that Abenomics doesn't work. I believe Abenomics is the reason for the recession. But now, because Abenomics has pushed the Japanese economy into recession, this lays the groundwork for more Abenomics. Double down on what hasn't worked, because you think it just needs more time. In fact, that's what all of the experts are saying. All the cheerleaders, all the Keynesians who have been telling us how great Abenomics is for Japan, they're just shrugging this off. Oh, it's, you know, no big deal. It's just a couple of quarters. Uh, We're looking beyond this uh, to this, you know, great land of the promised land of economic growth, right? If we keep printing, the recovery will come. Don't worry about it. Some of them are saying, well, this is all because of the increase in the sales tax that we had in the second quarter. Japanese sales tax went up from five point from five percent to eight percent. So rising prices are the problem. I thought rising prices were the solution. Right. It, um, Abe declared war on deflation. He promised higher inflation. And now even the Japanese official statistics are showing a three percent annual inflation rate. They should be happy with that. Instead, they're recognizing what should have been the obvious from the start, that rising prices are hurting the economy. In fact, Abe himself is saying that rising prices are hurting the economy because now they've called off 
the second increase in the sales tax that was scheduled for late next year. It was supposed to go from 8% to 10%, and Abe said we can't do that because the economy is weak. Wait a minute. We can't let prices go up because that'll hurt the economy? But that is the goal of your economic policy, is to increase prices. In fact, Kuduro, who heads the Bank of Japan, just came out um, yesterday and announced we have to continue the stimulus. They've got an 8-to-1 now majority at the BOJ the, for more stimulus. They're doing 80 trillion yen annually. And the reason they need to keep doing the stimulus, according to Kuduro, is that the inflation rate, which is now 3%, he feels it might dip below 1% if we don't keep printing money. But wait a minute. If Abe is saying that the problem in Japan is that prices have increased, then why would a reduction in the rate of inflation be a problem? Wouldn't that be a relief? In fact, Abe himself said consumers need relief from the higher prices imposed by the sales tax. He also said, ironically enough, I'm not making this up, he said that consumers need relief you know, in the form of government handouts or government money to help offset the negative effects of rising prices that resulted from a weak yen. I'm not making this up. But a weak yen to cause prices to go up is exactly what he and the Bank of Japan want. I mean, I said this from the beginning, be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. They've got it and they don't even understand it. I mean, at the one hand, they're saying if higher prices are a problem, and then they're saying the problem is the high prices might come down, so we have to keep printing money to make sure that the prices that are going up continue to go up. I mean, is this some kind of economic twilight zone? I mean, don't they get this? How could you have this kind of irony, glaring irony, staring people in the face when they are acknowledging that rising prices are a problem, but then they say the cure for the problem is to make prices rise even faster? Well, then that means the problem is going to get bigger. How could you say that consumers need relief from higher prices when you just say, said they needed relief from lower prices? Which is it? What do they need relief from? What is the problem? Prices going down or prices going up or prices remaining the same? Right? They, they can't even figure out what monster they think they need to slay, but they still say we need more stimulus. In fact, the, the, the Keynesians are even more emboldened uh, by this. And they're, they're saying, well, you know, we know that the stimulus is working because the stock market in Japan is going up. So what? The stock market is going up because they're printing money and the Japanese have to get rid of their yen. They can't hold cash. They can't hold JGBs. So they have to buy stocks. So what? That doesn't mean the economy is getting better. It's getting worse. They point to the fact that, um, interest that, that, that earnings, corporate earnings are going up in Japan. See, Abenomics is working because earnings are going up. Yeah, companies are earning more yen that have less value. So what? Is in terms of purchasing power that is delivered to the shareholders, that's going down. So it's an illusion. So they're supposed to take solace in this illusion of rising earnings when it's all inflation. Meanwhile, inflation is helping to destroy the Japanese economy. And uh, Kuduro is saying, we're worried that inflation might go below 1%. How about being worried that it might go above 5%? You know, they're calling off the 2% hike in the sales tax, right? That's supposed to happen uh, next year. So they're worried that, hey, we can't allow prices to go up 2%. Why not? They said they wanted 2% inflation. And in fact, if inflation is 3% right now 
and it goes back down to 1%, that eliminates the, an entire sales tax increase all by itself. So if they're worried about the effect that the sales tax is going to have on prices, why not let inflation go down and unravel that effect, reverse it? I mean, if this wasn't actually happening, I don't think nobody would believe that you can actually have this. I mean, it's the theater of the absurd where you have the central bank saying we need more inflation and the prime minister saying the problem is that prices are too high and consumers need relief from rising prices. Yet none, nobody sees the irony. But, you know, here's probably the biggest irony of them all. I'm reading this article in Bloomberg, right? Remember, Bloomberg writes all these articles, story after story, about the threat of deflation. I can't go to the Bloomberg website without seeing some idiot write an article about the deflation ogre, why deflation is so bad, and all these articles trying to explain why. And it all boils down to the same thing. Deflation is bad because if prices fall, consumers will stop spending. If people think prices are going to go down, they'll stop spending waiting for the lower price, right? Well, here's this article in Bloomberg. You should read the whole article. I have it up on the Europac website. The title of it is Russian Accountant Loses Tooth in Ruble Devaluation. And when you read the article, you'll find out what happened was because the rubles lost so much value, the price of the, uh, the dental work that he needs is now so high that he can't afford it. But listen to this one paragraph that I'm going to read, because this really, this really sums, sums it all up. Here, Nobody is buying, the interior designer at House and Decor said, as she waited idly for customers to show up on a recent weekday. With the ruble tumbling 23% against the euro and 30% against the dollar this year, the store has been raising prices constantly to keep pace. She estimates about half the clients she'd been advising on furniture purchases have recently postponed their orders. My customers are in bad shape right now, and so am I, she said. So let me get this straight. They've been raising prices constantly, and as a result, her customers are postponing their purchases. Wait a minute. I thought it was falling prices that caused you to postpone your purchases, Right. The economists who say deflation is bad have been arguing that rising prices is what's motivate what motivates consumption. Well, here, this retailer keeps raising her prices and she's sitting in the store and there's no customers. She's waiting for people to show up and nobody is. Why aren't they rushing to the store to take advantage of the higher prices? Don't they see that prices are going to keep on rising? Why don't they quickly come in and buy before the prices go any higher? See, the truth is they can't afford to buy now that the prices have gone up. So they've stopped buying. That's what happens when prices go up. That's the law of supply and demand. As price go up, prices go up, demand goes down. That's a law. It's like the law of gravity. You can't repeal it. Yet you have all these economists, reporters, um, bankers saying the opposite. Right? It's like believing that when it comes to the law of gravity, that I can, I can uh, you, know, you know, drop a ball and instead of falling to earth, it's going to float skyward up towards the heavens, right? They've got, the, that's like the law of gravity backwards. Well, they have the law of supply and demand backwards, but you can see it playing out in Russia as the ruble declines, prices go up and consumers stop spending 
because they can't afford the higher prices. That is also happening in Japan. Consumers aren't spending because prices are rising. Yet those idiots think they need to make prices rise even faster as if somehow that's going to turn the situation around. Right? Talk about the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, yet you still have everybody saying that Europe needs to do a Japanese-style QE because it's working so well in Japan. It's not working well in Japan. It's working horribly in Japan. Japan is in recession, and Europe is supposed to emulate Japan? Why? Now they say, well, quantitative easing has worked great in America. No, it hasn't. It hasn't worked any more here than it's worked in Japan. People just haven't figured that out yet. You know, maybe the voters have figured it out. That's why they gave the Republicans a landslide victory, because they were voting no on the phony Obama recovery. But as the economic data in the U.S. continues to weaken, people will understand that the, it didn't work here either. I mean, Japan is back in recession. Europe is there. America is going there too. I mean, people who think that America is going to be the only one, the only country that keeps growing because somehow quantitative easing worked here, right? Even though it didn't work anywhere else. And why? We just, we, we just did it better? Our, our central bankers were better at printing money? The, the, the truth is that the euphoric effects of the monetary high have just not worn off yet, but they will, and, and they are. In fact, let's take a look at some of the economic data that has come out this week. It's mainly been weak, right? Look at the Empire State Manufacturing numbers came out on Monday, and they were looking for about... 12 on the number, we got 10.16. So a rebound from the 6.17, which was very weak in the prior month, but not nearly as big a rebound as was expecting. But the worst numbers came from industrial production. Listen to this. So industrial production last month, or September industrial production, was 1% change. They revised that down to 08 they were looking for a plus 0.2 for this for the month of October. Instead, they got minus 0.1, minus 0.1 for the month. And capacity utilization dropped from 79.2, which was revised from the original 79.3 from last month. So we had a slight revision. And this month, or October, 78.9. Capacity utilization. So capacity utilization going down, industrial production going down, and this is the first month of the fourth quarter, which means they're probably going to have to start ratcheting down their GDP forecasts for the fourth quarter. We also, yesterday on Tuesday, we got producer prices. Here, we had a higher number, right? I don't know if that's supposed to be good or bad, right? Is higher inflation good or bad the way people look at it? But the consensus was that prices were going to drop 1%, 0.1%, excuse me, producer prices in October. Instead of dropping by 0.1, they increased by 0.2. Nobody was expecting a 0.2. The highest expected increase was 0.1. Some analysts thought we'd have a 0.3% drop in producer prices, up 0.2, which means the year-over-year change is 1.5%. And strip out food and energy. Why? I don't know, but they do it. 1.7% was the year-over-year X food and energy, so-called core, 
rate. I mean, that's not too far from 2%. But the thing is, these prices are rising even with the big plunge in oil prices. So imagine what will happen to these producer prices when oil prices turn around, which I believe they will do in a big way when the dollar turns around. We also got more bad news uh, this morning. Housing starts coming in well below what the consensus estimate had been. They were looking for an increase, I think, of 0.8 from prior month. Instead, they got a minus 2.8, a 2.8% decrease in uh, home building. So despite all the great sentiment among the home builders, they're certainly not expressing it in uh, the number of homes that they're building. And in fact, most of what is going on is still multi-family construction. So the news that we continue to get as it comes out is generally prefaced by unexpectedly, weaker than expected, uh, stuff like that, because they're surprised. Everybody just assumes that that there's a recovery. They just assume that what the Fed did worked, just like they assume that what the Bank of Japan is doing is going to work, even though all the evidence shows that it's an abysmal failure. You know, quantitative easing is kind of like, you know, a monetary uh, uh, leeching, you know, bloodletting, you know, where you would, you know, you would, you would try to suck the blood out of a sick person thinking that the problem was in his blood. And if we can just suck out the blood, uh, then we'll cure the disease. Right. And so but the problem is the more blood you suck out, the sicker the guy gets. And then you're like, well, I guess we need more leeches. Right. We haven't sucked out enough blood. The sickness is still in the blood. Right. This is what's going on with quantitative easing. I mean, Japan should get the message. They printed all this yen. They created all this inflation. And now they're in recession with inflation. They got stagflation. Should they say, wow, maybe this is the wrong thing to do. Maybe that's not what the patient needs. Maybe draining all this blood out of the patient is not the way to cure them. Maybe we should try something else. No, they, they wouldn't, it wouldn't even dawn on them to try something else. So just the way everybody thinks QE is going to work in Japan, they think it worked in America. It didn't. It's the same failed policy. It doesn't matter what country tries it. It's never going to work, right? Keynesianism, inflation, do not grow your economy. They undermine economic growth. Japan is proving it. Look what's, again, Russia. Look what's happening in Russia with the weak ruble and rising prices, right? And the same thing, of course, is going to happen in the United States. Now, maybe, maybe there's somebody sensing this. You know, we have seen some weakness in the U.S. dollar over the past week. The dollar, you know, everybody keeps talking about the strong dollar, although, of course, the Japanese yen. I mean, the yen is making new lows. In fact, I'm actually even a bit surprised that given uh, how bad those GDP numbers, that the yen is not even lower. But it's still at a new seven-year low today. So forget the yen. Uh, But the dollar has been weakening against the euro. Nothing big, but it's not strengthening. But we're starting to see some strength in the gold market. You know, gold prices have topped 1,200 uh, this week. Uh, they're a little bit below. And as I'm recording this, we're like 1,197. But we're continuing to build slowly on the big gains from last week in the price of gold. Gold stocks have moved up sharply from their lows. I mean, I think the indexes are up about 20, 25%, something like that, uh, from their lows. And there's several gold stocks that are up 30 and 40% just in the past week. But they were down so much in the prior weeks that they're still way down, right? But there is some indication now that we're running out of sellers. uh, And as buyers come in, 
uh, there's really very little stock for sale, and so prices are rising uh, pretty rapidly. Again, it's a little early to say that there is a definitive bottom in the gold market. Remember, I think we need to see gold prices trading above 1250. I mean, if that's the case, I would be pretty confident that we've seen the lows and we're going to have a, a new bull market, a new bull one that's going to take out the highs. What would be very constructive, we'll see if it happens, is if we can finish the month of November above the high from the month of October in both gold stocks and, and gold bullion. And that would create an outside month, a reversal month in the monthly charts because we've already taken out the October lows in November. And now we've had a big rally since making those new lows. So rather than collapsing, uh, the lows were bought and now we've had a rally. In fact, people are surprised to learn that central banks have been loading up on gold. You know, there was a lot of speculation talking about Russia and Russian inflation. There was a lot of speculation that it was Putin, it was Russia that was selling a lot of gold, that some of the big drop that we saw was because Russia was selling to defend the ruble, right? They wanted to prop up the ruble, so they were selling gold. And I always said nonsense. I, I, I said, look, Putin is way too smart to be selling his gold. That's the last thing Putin would do is sell gold. He's going to sell dollars before he does that. And he hasn't even been selling that many dollars because they haven't been intervening as much as I think that they should in the Forex market, but they have been buying gold. So what dollars they have sold, they haven't used them to buy rubles. They used them to buy gold because Russia, I think, was the biggest buyer among central banks in the third quarter. And a lot of other central banks are buying gold. Emerging market central banks, people are scratching their head. Now, I was watching a report on CNBC on this. They were saying, well, you know, what is this? Are these, what are these central banks doing? Are they trying to come somehow get on some kind of a gold standard? You know, like what they're doing is crazy. Like, why are they doing that? And they were saying, oh, no, 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 nothing as crazy as that. But they just want to diversify their assets. Yeah, you know, because they got all these dollars, they got all these euros, they got all these yen, and they're printing them like they're going out of style. Yeah, they want to own something real. They want to own something tangible. They want to own something that isn't somebody else's liability that they're either going to default on or, or, or print into oblivion. But here's the big thing. See, the central banks that are buying gold, they're not traders. These guys aren't going to buy gold at you know 1190 and flip it at 1250 the gold that is being bought by central bankers is out of circulation it is going to be buried in a vault and it's never going to see the light of day right it's going to be there to give value to currency to act as a you know a, as a reserve right and it's not going to be sold just like russia russia's not selling any gold to defend the ruble they're buying more so where is the gold coming from that all the central banks are buying? Well, it's coming from speculators who are selling, who think the price is going to keep going down for whatever reason. And I keep hearing them say, the experts say, well, why is the gold price going to go down? Well, because the dollar is going to keep strengthening. The U.S. economy is going to go up, is, going to get, is recovering, and interest rates are going to rise. So they say, look, there's three fundamental reasons why the price of gold can only go down. But it hasn't occurred to them that maybe those three reasons are wrong because they don't exist. See, they just assume that their forecasts are right. See, they're saying gold has no place to go but down because interest rates are going to go up, the dollar is going to go up, and the U.S. economy is going to keep improving. Well, none of those things are going to happen. They're 0 for 3 because interest rates aren't going up, the dollar is going to reverse and go down, and the U.S. economy is going back into recession just like Japan, which is why the price of gold ain't going down 
it's going up. But when it turns around and the speculators realize that they were 0 for 3 and now they have to start buying gold, who's going to sell it to them? Where are they going to get it? They're the only sellers. It's the, the speculators are the only sellers in the gold market. right? The real money is buying. And a lot of the speculators, remember, they sell gold that they don't own. This is all in the futures market. They're selling gold that they have no intention and no capability to actually deliver. And what is going to happen when they want to buy? And there is no supply. There is no gold. When these ETFs are getting all these buy orders because now the speculators want in, and how are the speculators going to get in? They'll buy the ETF, right? But now the ETF has to buy the physical bullion. Where is it going to get it? Not from the central banks, right? So the prices are going to have to move up very, very rapidly in order to get any sellers to come to the market. Because who would sell gold? Who, anyone who understands the fundamentals, why would they sell gold at 1200 1300 1400 Why would they? Doesn't make any sense. It's only people who don't understand the fundamentals that were selling it on the way down. The people that know the fundamentals have been buying it, and they're sure as hell not going to turn around and become sellers when the people they've been, they've been buying from figure out what a mistake they've made. No. In fact, one of the most painful positions to be in is going to be short uh, the metals, gold and silver. And I'm not going to, you know, cry over uh, this. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I mean, just probably enjoy uh, hearing the horror stories as some of these speculators squirm uh, because of the heat that they're going to be feeling on these positions. And some of them are going to just be hoping, right? They'll be watching the price of gold going up and they'll be, oh, well, this can't be. Uh, it's got to go around. It's got to turn around. And they're just going to watch it go higher and higher and higher. Uh, and uh, they're going to watch uh, the profits that they made on the short side rapidly turn into huge losses. That is what ultimately uh, I think the gold sellers have in store for them is, uh, is big losses. Today's financial advisors behave like pro wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies.